Bandwidth for Priority One Podcast is brought to you by Playa Escondida. Ever dreamed of visiting Planet Riza? Well, Playa Escondida is the ultimate beach resort excursion. Visit PlayaEscondida.com to book your ultimate vacation getaway. Command codes verified. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Welcome to Priority One, and now your hosts. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 151 of Priority One Podcast, the premier Star Trek online podcast, recorded Thursday, November 21st, 2013, live on trekradio.net, and available for download or streaming on Monday mornings at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Tony. I'm James. I'm Elliot. And I'm Elijah. Elijah, what do we have in store this week? I heard a familiar name there. What what was That's that? That's right. I'm back. <laughs> At least for a week. Until work decides to work me some more. But the rumors of Elijah killing me have been greatly exaggerated. Not false. I mean, he did try to kill me, you know, but I, it was exaggerated. I think it may have been mere Elijah, maybe. Blast you, vile man. I'll kill you where you stand. Actually, I, I think it was real Elijah dressed up as mere Elijah. But, you know, hey, it was a clever plan. It was a full goatee. Uh, no, I, I do have a full goatee, sir. Mine does connect. Oh, so you uh, shaved was, your goatee off? And there was, is that Mirror Elijah? The, yes. The Elijah yes. with no goatee? That's Mirror Elijah? Okay. It was just a mustache Elijah. That's mustache. Mustache. <laughs> mustache Elijah. Elijah yes. but, it was, but it was foiled. His plan was foiled. Foiled again! I'll get you next time. Next time. All right. What do we have in store this week, Elijah? This week, we put our thinking caps on and trek out the economics of Star Trek and how we can apply that to Star Trek Online. Now, not much has been officially published on Star Trek Online since the launch of Season 8, but that doesn't mean we won't be talking about the latest content or community buzz about the game. Afterwards, we'll talk with our old friend, Simon Ludgate, to talk about the impact and effect of the new ARC launcher. In this week's Community Spotlight, Shivery Bean returns with a new Foundry review. And, of course, as always, we'll open Healing Frequencies and see what's incoming from you, our listeners. Captains, we cannot express how grateful we are that you would not only nominate us for this year's ninth Annual Podcast Awards, but that you took the time each day to vote for us during the first two weeks of November. Now, we wait for the winners to be announced on Sunday, January 5th, at the New Media Expo in Las Vegas, Nevada, we're going to find out if we are the victorious ones. You guys can continue to support Priority One with real-world donations by helping us reach our monthly financial goals. Visit PriorityOnePodcast.com. You can donate. There's a donate button there. There's all kinds of good ways that you guys can help us out and get some goods at the same time. And we truly, truly do appreciate each and every one of you guys. Thank you so much. Captains, don't forget that PriorityOnePodcast.com offers more than just podcasts. In her latest edition of In Development, Priority One Blog's editor-in-chief writes about Trek personas, our Trek alter egos. What's yours? Check out her blog and tell us your RP alter egos in the comment section for the blog. Only on PriorityOnePodcast.com. As a matter of fact, if you want to join the team at PriorityOnePodcast.com as a blogger, well, you can. Share your opinion, review, news, anything you like with our audience. Reach out to us via email at incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Captains, the Priority One fleet is recruiting. We are growing a small but tenacious in-game community, and we want you to be a part of it. Join us with just an alt or with all of your captains. Just join the Priority One chat channel. The in-game command is forward slash channel underscore join Priority One or... Just shoot us an email with your at handle, and we'll be sure to send you an invite. Before we move on, we want to inform you that there will not be an episode on Monday, December 2nd. We will be taking the week off to spend time with family and friends during the Thanksgiving holiday. We will be back live on trackradio.net on Thursday, November the 5th, and we will publish an episode 152 on Monday, November the 9th. So take a break and enjoy your holiday, and we'll see you afterwards. 
Well, let's check out the economy of Star Trek and what could possibly be applied to Star Trek Online. I don't know. Then let's trek it out. And on this week's Trek It Out, we have a variety of emails from our good friend Ben Weiss, a listener of the show, regular contributor. And he sent us an article from Matt Iglesias writing on Slate.com. And he, Mr. Iglesias, uh, he's, he's a, a bit of an armchair economist. Uh, he's a commentator of sorts on the economy. And he has uh, turned his uh, journalistic pen to Trekonomics. Turns out it's not nearly as far out in the deep reaches of space as the great bird of the galaxy might have thought it was. There's actually some people kind of looking at our transitional world economy as thinking this is kind of getting close to the post-scarcity idea that some economists have been thinking about for the past 20 or 30 years. Now, we're not there yet, obviously. We can't walk up to a replicator and make a chocolate fudge sundae or an ashtray. If, I guess people don't smoke in the future, but you know the equivalent of an ashtray. Uh, out of your replicator. But we're getting there with the 3D printers and the efficiencies in farming that we have now. But he points out that, well, it's obvious that in the future we're not really communists because people still go to work and people still own things. But why do they work if you don't need money and you don't need anything but bettering the human race and getting recognition for your work? And he points out, Mr. Glacius points out, that when you do see people work in Star Trek, they're working for recognition, like Ben Sisko's dad and his New Orleans restaurant or Chateau Picard wine. You know, it's really not terribly pleasant to go tromping through the mud, tying vines back and forth, and you don't do it unless you really, really want to. And that got me thinking about, well, in Star Trek Online, we can have as much money as we want, and we can have as many things as the developers decide to drop on us. So aren't we really in a post-scarcity economy when we log into the game? Right now, the dilithium drop rate set at about 480 dilithium for 15 minutes a play or so. Why not make it a 1,000? Why not make it 2,000? Well, the simple fact of the matter is it's because the developers don't really want to because they have to interface with a still money economy. But that brings us back to the original point. Why would we play... Why do people play or participate in that economy if there's no point when the developers can just wreck it in a minute or suck all the energy credits out of it uh, by making things more expensive? Crafting. The artisan stuff is what's missing in Star Trek Online, and that was really where I think the economy needs to focus when we go to Star Trek Online's next seasons. That crafting update has been what's missing, where people take their skills and their time and their efforts and they actually make unique things that you can't get anywhere else. That's what makes the economy run in the 24th century. Why not the 25th century in our little game? Well, in an interview with Stoked Radio, Alrevere does bring up that uh, crafting seems to have a lot of momentum right now in terms of development. So we may see the addition of crafting into Star Trek Online sooner than we might think. Again, you know, he doesn't give a date, he doesn't give any specified time frame, but he does allude to the fact that crafting and the revamp to that system is moving along yeah. in some way, shape, or form. Links, of course, to both articles will be in the show notes. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, I've been harping on the economy for a long, long time, and I really think this is sort of a missing piece. Everybody can have access to the reputation system. Everybody can do STS. Everybody can eventually get just about everything in the game with enough time and trouble. But it's those unique items that not everybody can get that make it sort of fun and interesting. And if you have to level up a crafter and spend time and, and energy acquiring resources, those items are going to be unique. They will be rare, and they will be interesting, not only for their perhaps in-game value, like it has a better modifier, but I got this from a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy, and it's really cool, and he had to work really hard to get it, and I'm so lucky to have this thing, even if it's just a purple hat. Discover something you think the rest of our listeners would enjoy hearing about? Send them over to us via incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. And let's check out what happened in Stow News. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. Well, Captains, it's been a light week since the launch of Season 8. Hopefully you've gone in and had the chance to play all the new content. If you haven't already, don't forget to pick up the free Solnade Tribble available to you through the Sea Store only until November 27th. Gents, how's Season 8 been treating you? You have any... New thoughts to add to our discussion from last week? I am still getting used to the fact that I have to call on people to do a mission. It's not uh, it's not Quack. like a, 
It's not like I got, listen. I got no, 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 no. I'm not. I'm saying I'm still getting used to it because I'll I'll go in, I'll go in and I'll be like, do 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 do. I want to do the Dyson stuff and then, but I can't do it by myself. Oh, I got what I wanted. And yeah, and I did. I did in fact get what I want, and that's fine. I am just. I. It's just a new type of gameplay that I need to get used to. I'm not used to the fact of reaching out and like zone chat and say, Hey, anybody want to team up and do something? And I, and I think you just have to, you want to do that with the Dyson sphere stuff. And I just have to get back into that mindset. I'm just is, not is, in that mindset. If nobody's on in the fleet or on my friends list, I kind of go, <laughs> well, I'm just going to check my boffs and doffs and, and, and maybe do a STF pug. But I don't think to myself, let me reach out in zone chat and let me see if I, you know, I we can get a team together of people to, to go through the Dyson Sphere, either the the space or the ground combat of it. I pugged the ground battle zone. I had a blast doing it. There was only three of us, and we took the whole thing in like 30 minutes. It was great. I wanted to ask you guys about the reputation system. I mean, are you guys liking this rep better than the other ones? Yeah, I like that the rewards are all Mark 12 purple. You don't have to screw around with the Mark 10s and 11 along the way. I like that you're getting prizes of that caliber at each level instead of having to wait all the way till the fifth round. I like everything about it. I think it's really cool. I like the drops that they're giving out, the consoles. I, I'm, I'm really get, very pleased, actually. Consoles are uh, getting old. They're, like, all the same. They are kind of, yeah, they have a problem with some of them being very, very similar. And, and actually, I've tried a couple of them. not super impressed with any of them yet. But hmm. I'm really anxious to get some of the full sets. I have pieces of the sets. You know, I have the ground shield, and I have one of the weapon consoles. I'm anxious to get all of it put together to see how it performs as a set. And we'll see how it goes. But uh, so far, I'm really happy with it. You know, actually, you mentioned the reputation system, and I haven't had a problem with the Dyson specifically. I know I at one point I ran one of the major battles. I think that I ran the battle zone on the ground, and I didn't get my accommodation on, like, uh, WTF. But one thing I did notice, specifically with the Omega reputation, is I wish that the projects that give you the loot were better organized. So this is, I, I guess this would be a UI thing. So... Here's one to you, Thomas. I would love for it to branch. So, for instance, the STF, the Omega gear, there's a lot, right? You've got your ship, you've got your ground, you've got Omega, you've got Mako. And it's very easy to make the mistake of slotting the wrong project. Hopefully, you haven't already invested your items towards that project where you would lose that. But it's very easy to make that mistake, and you have to read very carefully. I would love for some type of branching or some new type of UI, some branching that, okay, I want my Mako ship, right? So I click Mako ship, and then I can click shields. Then I can click deflectors. Then I can click engines, right? And then that'll branch down to whatever the items might be. I find that more specifically an issue with the standard Mako Mark 12 and then the adapted Mako. Where you, man, if you just, you got to look and you got to read carefully because otherwise you'll slot the standard Mako and you're going to be th- a mad, mad captain. I think they ought to like, try to hybridize the DOF screen with those missions in the reputation system. Just make that sort of a universal layout. Because those, I guess, sort of are missions, right? Where you're trying to do the reputation system. You have to contribute stuff to it. Kind of like a DOF mission sometimes. You have to contribute you know, consumables or commodities to it. In you're, you're yeah. basically crafting them basically you know it's either crafting or sending doffs on missions which are, you know they should unify that too honestly but you know just make it more of a universal layout so it is easier to tell what you're actually doing it's it's the doff system's good with that it, it, here's the mission over here then you click it and then it populates this field over on the right hand side that says here's the mission here's what the description is here's what you have to do to run it here's the doffs you have to assign to get it to work you know some sort of hybrid that would make it a lot easier more organized and now while we're at it let's revamp the crew system Shall we? We uh, hear from a, a forum discussion and under the Star Trek Online general discussion area. Orangitis proposes a revamp to the current crewman system in Star Trek Online. We have talked to Al about this on several occasions in our interviews. And basically, he's acknowledged that it's sort of a dead branch at this point. They had big plans for it at the beginning, and they all kind of fell through. For those of you who may not be aware, because it's not a big mechanic, the number of crew members of your ship is a base stat that determines the repair rate of hull damage and subsystem repairs that you can do on your vessel. Some consoles modify those repair rates a little bit, but it's not a really useful function of your ship. You know, put the consoles to to do something that will help with shields or armor. Don't mess with the crew stuff. You can keep an eye on it by the little humanoid icons at the bottom of your screen. It turns from white to orange to gray or black, depending on what kind of damage you get. 
but it's mostly insignificant, marginal impact at best on your gameplay performance. In his post, Orangitis presents a proposed improvement or a change to the crew system. So if there's zero crew left, you disable some buff abilities until the meter gets restored a little bit. Or maybe you add a new science buff abilities uh, that's like send out triage teams or something to get your medical uh, crew out there to heal your folks. Bordicus jumped in on here and said, just as a thought, they're not actually seriously considering it, but just as a thought, what about just pulling the whole thing out? Would anybody miss it if it were gone? And he wanted to make it clear that they're not actually discussing that any seriously right now, but just as a spitball discussion, would anybody miss it if it was gone? So what do we think, guys? We've had this discussion with Al before. It's coming up again. What do you guys think? I think that in its current state, if you pulled it, it wouldn't have much of an impact. But I think more importantly, if it was revamped, even with some of these suggestions that Orangitis has here, how would it change the character of gameplay? I mean, It'd be I, another mini game. Yeah, it really would. I mean, because yeah. you remember back when the death penalty debate happened in yeah. in Stowe, and mm-hmm. you know, do we do mm-hmm. a slider? Do we, you know, this and and people were the whole community was really fired up about it, and and so we wound up with the, the timeout corner. Yeah, the timeout corner and the, and the tiered missions, the difficulty, mm-hmm. you know, missions and and the repairs. Yeah, yeah. If you amped up based on some of these suggestions, it would add a level of subtlety to the gameplay that kind of isn't there right now. Because right now, I think we all can agree it's basically about how do I push out as much DPS as I can, even as a tank, I think that way. And Iconian, in a few posts below that, does mention that the whole using the crew system as a possible death penalty, for instance, a loss of crew, and in turn, the inability for a ship to repair itself should result in the debuff of certain abilities, perhaps. Mm -hmm. You know, instead of the minor and major components to heal those debuffs, you need to perhaps replace all those red shirts that gave their lives so valiantly. (laughs) And like Iconian says, he puts it well, you know, a ship is only as good as the crew that fly her. So I was not a big fan of the death penalty, at least the way it turned out. The whole repair regen thing and, and the components, it just doesn't feel Trek to me. And... We talked a little bit about this last week when we were noticing how so much more of the content that has been coming out is feeling more and more like Trek. Not only is it fun MMO content, but it's also Trek, you know, from the featured episodes to these clips to the tutorial. My God, the tutorial. It feels Trek. And I think that instead of cutting the branch off of this crewman system, you know, maybe revamping the whole death penalty back in game. I just had a brilliant thought. You want to hear my brilliant thought? This is genius. Like, struck me. Right, right please, as we're talking about Please this. let me hear something genius come out of you. The DOF system, we don't have a use for white DOFs other than just vendor trash or for dumping into Starbase projects. What if, when you started losing crew, it started killing DOFs? And it started with the whites. You'd hear complaints about that right away because people will talk about how they spent real money on them. Right. Hear me out. Hear me out. Hear me out. The DOF system is going to get a revamp. We know this is happening. It's going to come at some point. They have to have some sort of DOF bank, okay? You know, like any other trading card game out there, you've got your reserve deck that you just have, and you put together your deck, right? Like, this is the deck I'm going to take with me, all kind of stuff. We kind of have that with the active roster now a little bit, but it's like five, right? Five guys on the ground, five guys in the No, 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 I'm talking like 20 or 30. You put like 20 or 30 in your deck, and then you put the rest of them in reserve, and you know you need to slot some white ones because if you take crew damage... It starts eating away at the white ones first. And that way you say you can keep your purples and blues safe by having some red shirt cannon fodder to go through. It's still backed by real money, and the fact that you would lose that type of real money in a death penalty is going to make people real Why do you have to lose them? We don't lose greens and blues and purples already. Just take them off the roster, make them injured in sickbay like we have in the DOF system already. You just can't use them on your active roster for 24 hours or 48 hours if they get injured in combat. So the white ones get killed well, and the purple and blues that you can't send them on missions and stuff. Okay, so there's that. And then also the space crew complement of a cruiser is what, like 2,500? So you can't department heads. work with 2,500 white Department heads. Well, that's the other thing too is that – all right, so hold on. So then if with the white duty officers, right, if you were trying to fill that complement with 25 – is that what you're saying though? Is like having 2,500 whites – no, no, no. I mean, just, you know, put, pick a number. It doesn't really matter. You know, like right now, I've, I've, on one of my characters, I've maxed out, well, a couple of them, I've maxed out the DOF slots to 400. But everybody gets 100 DOF slots right now. So just have some subset of 100, be it 25, 50, 75, whatever, it doesn't really matter. Some smaller amount than that be your limit for any ship. 
you know, pick, you know, 25 for escorts and 50 for destroyers and 75 for cruisers, whatever. And then just fill in the blanks. Put some engineering, put some in there. Some number of them will be your active roster ones. Some of them will be on just your department heads or whatever, just some sub- subcategories. And make it completely optional. If you just don't staff it, it doesn't matter. It just tweaks your gameplay, much like the active roster does right now. It's just it's just tweaks. It's just people that want to get into the, take, the theory crafting of it. Take take a page out of actual naval combat and call it make it an ability called call the second watch or something like that. And yeah. and then you know you press the button and boom. Whatever you have slotted into that category is put on a 24-hour cooldown, but your space crew is refilled. But here's how I see it, though, is that crews, right, the crew that is currently implemented in the game are the no-names that in the show you the characters would could, would walk right, by, right, decks. and just you, people are just filling the lower decks. Then the doffs are... The little one-off characters that we see in an episode that actually have a few mm-hmm. lines. And then, of course, you have your bridge officers. So if we were to keep into the spirit of Trek, we should still have a crew complement of 2,500, right? And we should still make sure that all those little lower deck minions aren't dying off. Because otherwise, it would cause significant havoc for the ship. Somebody cannot heal the hull or, or get shields back up. So I see what you're saying. Give a purpose to those white duty officers. But on the same token... It shouldn't be reinventing the wheel with the crewman system, right? I don't want to see a lot of time spent on doing something with a system that we've ignored for three years, I do. right? Going on four now. Make it good. Right. So maybe improve it in so far that, yeah, having your crew members die in the middle of battle, either they stay dead and that becomes your death penalty, remove the whole major components and make your crew feel Trek, right? There's everybody in on decade has been blown out into space. And the only way to recover from that is to get a new crew complement of these crewmen. Until then, you're going to be debuffed some way, shape, or form. Like, but like anyway, you have to go to the Starbase uh, or something. Right, 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 right. Which you can do that now without having to spend on major or minor mm-hmm. components, right? So you don't have to run those major or minor components. You can just go to the Starbase. But anywho, Captains, what are your thoughts? Our first community question this week is, do you ever pay attention to your crewman stats on your ship during combat? Should it be removed? What about revamped? How would you like to see it changed, if not removed? Let us know in the comments section for this episode on PriorityOnePodcast.com or in the Star Trek Online thread post for this episode. A recent article on Gamasutra.com by Mike Rose discusses the four approaches to making companion apps for video games. I'll give it a quick high level. They're talking about second screen experiences. They're talking about using apps to perform different functions in games. They gave a few examples in there. One of my favorite recent examples is Battlefield 4. You can run the Battlefield map, the actual top-down kind of commander view map, on that tablet while you're playing your first-person shooter. And the value added from an experience like that is just phenomenal. Now, Captains, the reason we bring up this article is because we posed the question, where's the gateway? The gateway is designed to be a supplemental experience for Star Trek Online. And what we've seen so far, though, from the gateway is that it's more of an informative portal than it is a functional portal. So you can see your bridge officer layout and what items you have equipped, and and that makes it really easy to share with people what you're rolling. But after reading an article like this, I'm kind of hoping that they move the direction of the gateway to more functionality than they do informational, right? In the article, for instance, Brent Arnst, who's the senior designer for Dead Rising, wrote that he could ensure the player saw direct benefits from the second screen in the game, not only as a second window for information on the game. And I think that's an important difference to make. I would love to be able to have my tablet propped up on the side of my monitor and like you described, Elliot, with Battlefield, as I'm playing a mission, the I have an overhead view of the map, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't have to keep going back and forth to the map yep. in-game and pausing for a second. I can just kind of glance over to the side and feel like it's a pad, you know? Feel like I'm on an away mission, and here's my pad in my hand, and I'm getting a lay of the land on my tablet or my phone, whatever it might be. Oh, man, I'd love to have just have the, the mini-map 
for Star Trek Online mm-hmm. on yes. a tablet or something like that. That would be cool. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't have to keep on punching that up. So, you know, it's that type of immersion that I would love to see come from the gateway and perhaps the first start. Now, you know, we've seen that they had worked on a Mac port and here it is, a Mac port. So I hope that they will invest the same amount of resources into creating an app that is functional and not just informative. Because I don't really, unless I'm, no, I just, I can't, I can't think of a moment where I'm like, damn, what am I running on my ship? I need to know right now. Hey, hey. No, it's more, it'd be nice if I'm away at work and I can run, right? And we've, we have spoken about mm-hmm. this before. Being able to run your DOFs. Crafting uh, Being able to, per- if, yeah, when crafting gets a revamp, crafting would be fantastic. Whilst away from the game, from your core machine. But how awesome would it be is while you're running the mission, while you're in the Dyson battle zone, You've got the map up on the side on your tablet of who's got what control mm-hmm. of the zones there on the battleground. It just the possibilities are endless, and I hope so so hope that that's the direction that they're they're going to take the gateway really badly. So, captains, what about you? What type of functionality would you like to see come from a Star Trek online app? Perhaps the gateway, if it's accessible enough. Let us know by leaving your suggestions in the comments section for this episode on PriorityOnePodcast.com or in the Star Trek Online thread post for this episode. And we've got just a few patch notes to highlight uh, before we get done with Stone News here. We've got a crash that's been happening for a number of users. Apparently there's uh, some graphics issues with a variety of different cards. Today's patch managed to uh, squash some of those bugs, but there may still be some lingering users out there who can't log in due to uh, graphics incompatibility. So hit the forums if you can't get logged in after today's patch. They're working on it as hard and as quickly as they can. Also, we've got some new rewards for the Breach Elite. You'll get a Voth cybernetic implant and some dilithium if you're on the Elite version of the Breach. Also, the uh, Breach, Storming the Spire, and Alachi Red Alert have been added to the bonus mark event. So you'll get extra marks if you complete that during the calendared event time. And we've also got some additional changes to the Spire fleet holdings and music added to some of the zones that were missing music. And uh, some other fun little details. Uh, go ahead and check out our show notes for a link to the patch. Also, the Foundry is now back on republishing. It had been on hiatus, as Brand Flakes discussed in our interview last week. But they've restarted the publishing process, and hopefully your favorite missions will be returning shortly. All right, Captains, that wraps up Star Trek Online news for this week. Now we'll move into our interview with Simon Ludgate and get his thoughts on the new ARC launcher for Star Trek Online. And welcome, Captains. We are joined today by a longtime friend of the show, frequent Gamma Sutra columnist on the topic of game economics and master of information, Simon Ludgate. Simon, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on the show again. Well, Simon, uh, the community has been reacting to a recent announcement by Perfect World that they're going to start a unified launcher system for their portfolio of games, which includes Cryptic Studios and Star Trek Online. And I just wanted to ask you the question, is this an unusual piece of software they're developing here? Well, it's actually not unprecedented. It has been tried several times before. Sony was well known for having a launch platform for all of its games, and uh, so was NCSoft. But both the Sony uh, sort of unified launch pad and NCSoft's game launcher uh, seem to have been decommissioned since they launched. And uh, now all those games are still... Uh, or I should say, are, are, have returned to uh, independent game launchers. Is this an industry-wide thing now, or are people just dropping launchers altogether? Well, no, uh, there is Blizzard. Uh, they used to have separate launchers for their games. Of course, World of Warcraft was their first major online game, despite the fact that StarCraft and Diablo had important online components through Battle.net. They were still sort of largely viewed as, as single-player games, but with Blizzard's recent push into having a, a more aggressive online presence and having online requirements for many of their games, uh, most notably StarCraft II and Diablo III, and they're also working on developing a new Battle.net launcher unified for all their games, and uh, it's currently in beta. We don't know when that's going to get launched and become a requirement. So kind of the trend that we're talking about here is that companies that had long-time MMO launcher experience, uh, you know, Sony and NCSoft are dismantling theirs, but another company that had a lot of single player games now moving towards a more 
online presence, they're trying to put together a unified launcher. So compare what those guys are doing to, say, or some of our more familiar examples, say, EA's Origin and Valve's Steam launchers. What's the difference between an MMO launcher and those guys? Well, I'd also put uh, Ubisoft's Uplay into those oh. uh, those two categories. Uh, sure. Basically, Uplay, Steam, and Origin, they're largely designed as a single publisher's portal to a lot of the games that they sell. And uh, the thing that really separates Ubisoft, EA, from Perfect World or even Blizzard is that they publish a tremendous amount of games. And a lot of these games are single-player games as well as multiplayer games. And traditionally, MMOs did not really suffer that much from piracy because you'd have to have a, a subscription, you'd have to pay to play online. And of course, with the new free-to-play games, well, there's there, you can't pirate a free game. <laughs> yeah download the client and start playing. Haha, well, I've stolen the game. Well, I've stolen the game. (laughs) (laughs) On the other hand, EA and Ubisoft have long battled against piracy and the large motivation to for them to develop their online stores. There's really two sides for Uplay and Origin. Number one, they wanted to build a system that gave their games the same kind of piracy protection that MMOs had, where you'd have to connect to a central server to play the game. You'd basically have to play your single player game online and that would help protect against piracy or or so they thought. And the other thing that they wanted to do is have uh, an integrated storefront. So whenever you play any of your games, you connect through their store, which makes it easier for them to sell other of their games. The other thing that they wanted to do with that was have better integration for DLC or or add-ons. A good example of this is Dead Space 3 for EA, which you have to play through Origin. And uh, Dead Space 3 has in-game DLC and in-game sort of in-app purchases. So while you're playing the game, you can, you know, click here to buy something and it just pops up in the actual game. It doesn't send you out to the store. But in order for that functionality to work, it has to be permanently linked online through the storefront. So various efforts in, in sort of, I guess, monetization of both free-to-play games and single-player purchase games and online games have sort of led to these online storefronts. They, they really stand out. And I think a, a lot of people rally against them because they want to play their single-player games offline. The other big reason that both EA and Ubisoft built their online stores is is really to compete with Valve's Steam. And uh, you bring that up, and almost everyone has Steam and and plays games through Steam and often plays MMOs through Steam. And obviously, if you're a company like EA and Ubisoft and everyone's buying your game through Steam and Steam takes a cut of every sale, well, you'd rather sell the game through your own online storefront and, and keep that cut, not give it to Valve. Right. So part of their effort with Uplane and Origin is to have a storefront where they can compete with Valve and hopefully get more money from selling their games through their own stores. One of the uh, stated goals from Perfect World for ARK, is, according to them, is they feel that they're spending too much time and too much money putting support towards all these different game websites for all these different games. And their goal is to get it all into one compact tool that they can then service that tool rather than 13 different game websites. That, to me, seems like a fairly legitimate argument. Apparently, it starts going a little sideways is when they start trying to add all these other, as you mentioned, sales opportunities as well as features, which are presumably good for the end client. But there seems to be a lot of resistance to those. I haven't seen many people in the forum say, you know, we want Perfect World to spend more money and have a harder time maintaining their websites. So do you think that that is probably the stated reason of streamlining their maintenance process for web marketing? Do you think that's probably the core of why they're doing this, or do you think it's straightforward a sales opportunity? Well, I think there are uh, different reasons. So obviously the reason why Perfect World will be building or wants to build a, a unified launcher is not the same reason as EA and, and Ubisoft want to build their online portals. Now, from a, the perspective of a unified MMO launcher, there is a lot of technology that actually goes into these launchers. Launchers have to be able to scan your installed game and see if files are out of date so they can apply patches. One of the things with online games is that they often patch at a very high frequency. So a single player game, they might put out a patch, you know, 
every few months and, and you patch to a specific version. With an MMO, if they're putting out patches, you know, once or twice a day in the case of some games where they put little hot fixes out or extra little bits of content, you don't want to have to build a patch or, or do a series of patches. I mean, it used to be a case that if you want to go from version 1.1 to 1.7, you've got to do all the patches in between. And a lot of that stuff can sometimes be duplicated material. With these advanced patchers, what they can do is scan the, the files and basically match the current version to whatever is on your hard drive and download just the files they need to do. So they're actually quite complicated in how these launchers work and allow you to save a lot of time on the patching process. And by having a single launcher, you can sort of amalgamate all of your time and engineering work and all your efforts and say, all right, well, here, let's let's build a single launcher that can do all these games instead of having, you know, seven different launchers for seven different games or whatever the case may be. So, yeah, there is definitely an argument that could be made from an engineering perspective, especially now that we're moving into times where more and more MMOs have sort of these light streaming clients where you start downloading part of the game client and start playing the game while it continues to download in the background. Mm-hmm. Well, if you had a, a unified launcher, you could have it download one game while you're playing another game in the background and still use the same sort of streaming technology to minimize the impact on the game by slowing down the download while the game that you're currently playing is doing something very intense. So if both games are running through the same launcher, basically one game can watch what the other game's doing and control how they communicate with the server to ensure that the player has a good experience. But there is no doubt that this is also an opportunity to market the games. If nothing else, when you run the launcher and you see the list of games and you see, well, here's Star Trek Online highlighted, but here's all these other ones you could just click once and download is a good way to push those games into the stream of consciousness, uh, at least of each of the game's audiences. Yeah. And, of course, you can also put in, uh, I mean, a lot of these launchers have little windows where they can show, you know, ads or not necessarily ads, but like deals. They can say, oh, well, this week this game is doing this and, and this game is doing that. And why don't you check out this new thing? Yeah, and part of what they need to know in order to send us those great offers and deals is they need to know something about us and about what we're doing and about what games we already have installed or might want to install. So the technology that they're going to push at us, are there things on there that might go farther than what we would like? Or are we going to let a uh, machine or a program onto our computer that's going to take data from us without knowing it? Or are they just going to keep their nose to their own business and just look for their companies published games and update us on those things well the amount of how much information that they can use it is somewhat limited by sort of the reality of life and that is that every customized offer they still have to invent it right so someone has to say well let's look for this set of variables and then if you know this user does this we'll send them this offer and so the amount of offers that they could possibly send to people is is limited by you know, whatever they their marketing department can come up with. And it, it's actually the case that a lot of these times, these launchers, they just cycle through a set of predetermined images. You know, they might have five banners for five different games, and it doesn't matter what you have installed or what you're playing or any information they have about you. They're just going to show you those five banners. I mean, there, there's a lot of work that goes into authorizing deals through marketing, and it's got to go through a lot of channels through the company before they can push them out. Having custom offers that only show up to some users is, it's interesting, but I don't know. Yeah, not a lot of work for not a lot of added value, especially since 90% of your player base never spends a penny. Yeah, and the thing is that what you could could do um, is monitor, for example, how much people spend under certain circumstances and then offer them certain deals. You know, uh, you might have a 50% off deal show up for just you because they know that you've never spent money. Yeah, so, but, that's, but that's internal to your company's stuff. You know, this is Perfect World uh, notices that you haven't spent $20 on a Perfect World game in the last 10 weeks. And so they're going to push an offer to your browser when they see you log in. Yeah, that sort of stuff might make sense. And, you know, I, I don't know if that's such a bad thing. If I was playing an MMO and I wasn't spending any money in it and I thought, oh, well, you know, this stuff's too expensive. And all of a sudden, hey, you know, here's 75 percent off, you know, give us five bucks instead of 20 and we'll give you the value that you were thinking of getting. Well, eh, maybe I do that. I don't know. Right. And the blowback from, say, an offer saying, hey, we noticed that you have uh, you got Steam installed on your hard drive. Well, if you install this game through us, not Steam, we'll give you a coupon. 
the potential blowback versus the potential reward, probably that equation doesn't work for an MMO publisher, does it? You know, that's an interesting question. I've never heard of a launcher pulling in that kind of information. Well, I mean, there is one example of that. I don't know if you've ever heard of something called Raptor, because that's what Raptor does. That's what uh, yeah. Raptor's business model is basically to gather that kind of information, sell right. it to, to third parties. And there's not that much blowback. Yeah, and, that, and that's the sort of concern that people have is like downloading a piece of engineering that allows a complex patching process to work. I'm down with that. That's cool. But just the economics of it are the potential rewards for doing a Raptor-like behavior and not being real upfront about it greatly exceed the potential blowback from trying to sneak that in there and not tell you about it up front. Yeah, the other big thing that these companies have to keep in mind or, or what the, the players of these games have to keep in mind is that Ultimately, these companies can kind of do whatever they want, and the only thing players can really do is opt not to play the game. Those threats have already been made. (laughs) Those threads have already been started. The thing is that a lot of these games come and go so rapidly anyways that putting out the launcher, they might lose a lot of players from current games, but then they, they launch a new game and they get a whole new set of users. So... You know, they're always migrating from game to game and and from pool of audience to pool of audience. I don't know how much of a long-term concern it would be, even if there is a lot of initial resistance. Well, and and there certainly are some benefits. I think, Tony, you mentioned talking about the Zen purchase workflow. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Much nicer. The clunkiness of having to go through Perfect World's website right now to buy in-game points, buy in-game currency is painful. This is going to help that. The new ARC process is going to help that. I remember back when Cryptic first launched Star Trek Online, you could buy Zen in the game, much like Simon was saying a little while ago. If you, you know, you want see store points, yeah, see store points. You could you could click in in game, and it would go with the Atari coins. I forget. <laughs> it could have been it could have been any one of those. I don't remember. It was been it lost to the mists of history, as far as I'm concerned. But I mean, but yeah, that's the idea. Is that if it some of that integration into the game is really nice, and if the price of that is the launcher, if it's all engineering, well, okay. If it makes my gameplay experience better, I'm all I'm all for it. Having talked with Simon now, it seems like the launchers that are out there going strong right now maybe have been based in sort of an IP protection, anti-piracy thing that have migrated to a sales platform. For an MMO, okay, maybe it's an engineering thing for multiple patching that's going to migrate into a sales platform probably eventually. The general trend is it starts for one reason and winds up being a way to sell you stuff. Yeah, and I think it's a little bit different with Perfect World because I'm under the impression that everything Perfect World does is free-to-play, right? Yes. So if you compare that to a lot of the other launchers, a lot of the other launchers have been for subscription games. So if you look at uh, Sony's Launchpad, when that was in its heyday and there was you know a dozen games that you could go through the single Launchpad, that was all a dozen subscription games as opposed to a dozen free-to-play games. And I think what one thing that Sony did is they had a, an all-access subscription where you'd pay one subscription, you'd have access to all the Sony games. And so that was one time when a single unified launcher made a heck of a lot of sense because you paid that one subscription, you had access to all the games anyways. Well, why not have that game just show up on your launcher so you could click and download and install it and play it? So I can see how Sony's sort of strategy has fragmented into several different games, several different launchers, several different strategies, whereas Perfect Worlds is really kind of coming together, trying to unify their whole free-to-play. So I'm looking at one of the forum threads that we referenced earlier, and Starsword C has lists about four arguments here anti-ARC. And these are basically the four arguments that I seem to hear most often from the community. I'm wondering if you had any thoughts about those, Simon. First, you didn't need it to play Stowe before. Why should you expend the extra computer resources now? Some of us, not me, play Stowe on a bare-bones laptop where extra processes like ARC really do affect the game. Well, that's always been uh, an argument with a lot of these sort of back-end things. Uh, We've certainly moved into the era of multi-threaded processors where we have so many things running in the background that it's hard to argue that one extra little thing running in the background is going to slow down the computer. I mean, whether you're running Skype or TeamSpeak or Ventrilo while you're playing the game, whether you've got Steam or Origin or another thing running in the background, you've got a web browser, your email client, uh, a music software, and not to mention all of the Windows system things, you know, antiviruses and automatic updates. There's so many things running in the background anyways. 
while I'm certainly no techie on these particular issue, I think launchers in general don't use up that many resources. So I find it hard to imagine that your computer is going to be noticeably laggier because of an extra little bit of launcher software running in the background. So another comment, Arc messes with other overlays. Some of us use things like TeamSpeak for voice chat. I've seen at least one report of Arc messing up a heavily macroed gaming mouse as well. Well, that's certainly something that the developers of the game will have to tackle because, you know, it's certainly an issue with Steam and Steam's overlay. With Sometimes when you've got so much stuff running in the background, they, they stop working well together. That, I think, is a, a legitimate argument that should say, you know, the developers of the game, for example, should offer the option to disable the overlay. I know with Steam, you can turn off the Steam overlay. So if it's messing with the game, you just turn off the Steam overlay and Steam launches the game, runs in the background, but the overlay isn't messing with the interface. That would certainly be an easy option for ARC, unless, of course, the overlay is integrated very heavily in their whole buying the currency thing. So when you click the button to buy currency in-game, is it just opening up the ARC overlay to then go ahead and buy currency? Well, I signed up to play STO because I wanted to play a Star Trek space game, and GOG.com doesn't have Starfleet Command or Bridge Commander. So why is PWE going to make me look at all their other properties when I just want to play their one? Is it really such a horrendous experience to have you know a couple seconds of seeing, of being aware that other games exist while you transition from your desktop into the actual game? It's not like all those games are running parallel to your game and, and you have to play an equal amount of time on each of them. I don't really buy this argument. I mean, sure, you want to play just one game. Having those other games in existence doesn't really harm you that much. Yeah, the, the last time this level of reaction was had was when they did the forum switch. And it was a real step backwards technology-wise and user-friendliness-wise. And I think maybe we're getting some some echoes of that here as well. And that kind of segues back into the last question here. It's uh, He says, everything it does, Steam already has done for a decade and does it way better. Buying Zen is quick and painless with Steam Wallet works every time, and I can't count the number of problems I've seen with the PWE method. Well, that certainly brings us back to the argument that EA and Ubisoft had with their platforms, and, and that's just, just the money. You know, if, if you buy Zen through Steam, Steam takes a portion of that money, and if you buy it straight through ARC, then PWE gets all the money. So if they can spend a little bit of money to build their launcher and force everyone to use it, then in the long term, they'll earn more. That's definitely just a a money reason to go with their own launcher. It's hard to argue against that because that then just comes down to the economics of it. If people stop buying because they have to buy through ARC, then obviously they're going to go back to selling it through Steam. Ultimately, it comes down to the bottom line. They're going to do whatever is most profitable for them. And if people are that opposed to ARC, then they can always vote with their wallet. You can force things to go back through Steam by only ever buying something through Steam. I mean companies, they know where their money is coming from. They have big teams of accountants that look through all these numbers and they will direct the company to take up a strategy that will ultimately be most profitable for the company. Well, Simon, we appreciate you stopping by. Thanks for sharing your knowledge and experience with us and uh, we'll look forward to having you back on the show soon. It's been my pleasure. Let's check out this week's Foundry Spotlight with Chivalry Beam. Chivalry being here with another Foundry Officer Report. Today I'm looking at Survival Must Be Earned by Molise. This is a Klingon mission based on Romeo and Juliet. The mission has a rich history, rich dialogue, and some excellent maps. I have not read or seen Romeo and Juliet myself, but I know the basic plot, and I've heard this mission follows it well enough. Several of the maps have a lore singer you can consult using the Ops button to look up all the houses involved, and any other info you might need on the characters, on the locations. If you get confused at who is who, you have easy access to find out lots of information. This mission is reading heavy. I don't recommend playing it late at night when tired like I did. There is some combat and action, but at its heart, this is a story you'll be reading. Through the dialogue, I was able to follow the story, and I could recount most of what happened. I like that the story touchstones on the KDF and Federation War and sets it well within the Stowe universe. The custom maps, especially 
the city is well made and it's fun to explore. You don't have to be a Shakespeare fan to enjoy this mission if you're up for reading. The story is rich and the big action scene was fun to play. Give this one a shot. And I've heard that Malise's other missions are even better than this one, so give them a try too. And now, let's see what you have to say. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Captains, we love hearing from you on our feedback channels, whether it's via email or on our website or on the Stowe forums. And this week we heard from a lot of you, a lot of congratulations from our 150th episode. Uh, we heard from a lot of our old friends, Santa Skyrat, uh, Hippie John, Azurian Star, and Rob DMC. But we heard from a lot of new people. We want to make sure we get to their comments, encourage them to keep writing in on every episode, not just the big 150. We start off with uh, Jan via our email address, incoming at priority1podcast.com. As a longtime Linux gamer, I've always been proud of how well the Stowe client plays under Linux. It has, for me, never had any problems and works like a charm all the time. So if they can make a few hours of development time available and make sure that the Arc Launcher also works under Wine and Linux, I would definitely switch over to it without any questions. P.S. Happy 150 podcasts and live long and podcast. Looking forward to many more podcasts from you all. So here's the thing, though, is that he's running Wine to play Star Trek Online. All right, Which yeah, is so essentially as... what the Mac client is. It's a different wrapper called Cider. It's apparently uh, has like better libraries or whatever for the DirectX calls. But it's essentially the same workaround that we've been using, us, we being the Mac users of the world. It's essentially the same thing as we've always been using, just a better wrapper. So the Wine client under Linux should still work fine, and I'm hoping they don't port Arc over to Wine. <laughs> so I'm hoping I can just keep playing on my Mac and not have to worry about Arc ever. Rogue Jawa. How about that guy, huh? He wrote in and he says, Great episode, as always. Your new audio engineer does an amazing job. We agree. We totally agree. Thank you. I just wanted to respond to the question about ARC and say that there's absolutely nothing they could do to make this worthwhile for me. It seems like it's a bloatware resource hog. When it comes to ARC, do not want. I was reading the Massively article interview with Noel about ARC. And I understand this seems to be most specifically an internal move, that they're using too many different tools to manage both community and games, and it's causing a lot of issues on their part. So I get that. I understand that. I can appreciate that. The concerns of the community about privacy and resource demand from the platform is also understandable and hopefully will be addressed at some point. More importantly, for me, I want to see the gateway move forward. Right. I want to see an app. I want to see something come of Star Trek Online in the mobile platform. So long as Arc doesn't screw that up for me, I'm okay. Probably not going to install it. I'll continue launching Star Trek Online through Steam. But as long as Arc does not affect the ongoing development of Star Trek Online in the mobile environment, I'll swallow this pill. Here's something else that kind of caught my attention was that this week, Perfect World is doing some kind of contest game thing for one of their mobile games. Come on, let's get a solid mobile companion app for Star Trek Online in the hands of the players. I think it's needed. I think it's desired. I think it can make the game, again, just take it to the next level of Star Trek awesomeness. And again, as long as Ark doesn't get in the way of that, I'm okay. You know, I got to say the privacy argument doesn't really hold water for me because, I mean, if you're using the Internet and doing business on the Internet. and Yeah, everybody knows yeah, everything. Yeah, it's right. over, man. It it's, is, it was a, man. It, I mean, they, it was they over might as well call it pa- Yeah, they might as well I mean, call it Patriarch. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know. I think the biggest point to take away is Brandon's boss is in charge of this. I mean, they're not even letting Brandon handle this. This is they're taking this very seriously, and that Brandon's boss, the community team manager, is the one massaging this whole thing. They're not even letting Brandon do it. They're like, no, nah, it's too big. We're gonna, yeah, let, let, we're gonna kick it up a notch. They're very serious about making sure this is as smooth as possible. They know it's going to suck. They know people are going to do the things they've been doing and say the things. But I'm saying the things that I'm saying because I, we, they need to know this is the reaction they expect and this is the reaction we need to give them so that we keep them honest. There we are. It'll right, probably I'll- be better than Origin. <laughs> That's a pretty low bar. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Jack Morenzo writes, Great 150th show, guys, especially the end. The song from Jurassic Park always warms my gorn heart. Referring to the arc, I'm not sure there is much they can do to entice me. 
I have every game on my PC via Steam. Here's to 300. Salute. <laughs> All right, Captains. Mike in New Jersey writes, One, not a fan of ARC. I fear lag and bloat, invasive computer intrusion, and a general big brother feeling. We should always have a full opt-out option. For opt-in, I think compensation in the form of Dilithium Zen might be in order. And I feel opt-out should be a firewall level of non-intrusiveness. No polling, no ads, etc. Certainly no polling of programs installed whatsoever. Performance polling in-game is reasonable, but my privacy is paramount. Two, haven't played the tutorial yet. Six alts are keeping me busy. Sounds like a big success, though. As for the Voth ship, pretty bigger looking than many of the ships, in my opinion. Functionality? I don't know enough to be strong about this, but it looks good. I'll be looking for others to review since I try to play cheap. And we hear from SC Creations. Ark? I'm already being forced to use it. Pre-STO, I've always refused to play a game that required a separate loader, like Steam. There is no trade-off for giving up privacy. Everything they know can and will be used against you. Perhaps CBS should seriously consider letting that license expire. PWE is already hurting the Star Trek legacy enough. Oh, and by the way, some of us haven't played Sphere since launch. Not too many bugs? I'm sorry. I, I have one question. What's your question? Why is Perfect World already hurting the Star Trek legacy? I, you know, there's been compromises been made about the whole, you know, the, the economics thing, like it's supposed to be free and we're all, and we're murdering Klingons by the score and, you know, we've had these discussions tangentially in the past about how a multiplayer online game, you have to make compromises to make a game which don't really fit with the Roddenberry vision. I want to put this argument out there. What if yeah. Sony <laughs> Online Entertainment had done Star Trek Online? <laughs> What if EA had done Star Trek Online? <laughs> I don't think Star Trek and this IP in terms of gaming, this intellectual property for gaming, could not be in better hands. In, in better hands as far as Cryptic, yes. The right. people at Cryptic are true Star Trek fans. They are great people. They love the property. They're doing the best they can. As far as being owned by Perfect World, you know. It still leaps and bounds better than Atari. And from what oh, we've yes. and from what yeah. we've seen, I, actually as a player, Perfect World has very little to do with Cryptic Studios because when That's other true. publishers have taken control of games, they take full control, and these people can't sneeze without asking for permission. Yeah. Perfect World seems to be kind of sitting back and letting the magic happen, and this has been perhaps a rocky first year and a half. I'll even go so far as to say rocky two years, right? Maybe a little rocky with Atari switching over, Perfect World, some content droughts here and there, some but whatever. Listen, this has been the strongest, I want to say the strongest six months, if not last year, mm -hmm. of, of an MMO. An MMO that is continuously moving forward. O'Fallon sent in our next piece of feedback. It says, after taking a long hiatus from the game for several reasons, Priority One's coverage of current events encouraged me to check out the new tutorial. From the Starfleet IP perspective, it is a great, refreshing attitude. The NPCs and dialogue boxes reflect the cadet scenario well. If one watches the opening introductory trailer narrated by Leonard Nimoy, it explains everything well enough to know Starfleet is at war on several fronts. In closing, I still cannot justify playing Stowe. My playtime is limited and the ridiculous amount of grinding it takes to unlock content and equipment is absurd. I enjoy playing still right up to Season 7. Having played from its launch until Season 7, the game has made milestones of improvement. And I am pretty sure many players would and do enjoy playing this game. This gamer will, however, stay away. First of all, I think it's amazing that O'Fallon continues to listen to Priority One Podcast even though he's not playing Star Trek Online. So oh, that good. amazing. That is phenomenal. Thank you, O'Fallon. Stick around. Keep playing. Dude, all I gotta say is dinosaurs with freaking laser beams on their heads come on dinosaurs laser beams check it out siamese writes us congratulations on your milestone great topic content and excellent interviews sidstorm writes in no possible feature could make up for hard drive scans by arc not even a tier 5 connie would shut me up whoa and you know you're never getting that never never all right, and coming to us via Facebook, Joshua Morgan writes, I'd be more attuned to the ARC system if they integrated the gateway into it with the in-game mail system. Also, an Android and iOS app for ARC Stow Gateway would be a nice addition. 
Because mm-hmm. there's a guy here that agrees with you. Look at that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a thought. There's a thought. I think that's just mere Elijah. <laughs> no, that that's Elijah Jamray. We already know who that oh, is. Yeah, Elijah right. Jamray. Eli, yeah. Eli Jamray, yeah. Thanks to everybody who follows us on Twitter and sends us messages. We appreciate that. And uh, keep on sending them in. And remember, don't forget, we do have the uh, voicemails on the website, too. You can leave us a message and we'll play it. To do that, just visit PriorityOnePodcast.com. And towards the bottom, there is a SpeakPipe link as well as a phone number that you can call. And if uh, neither one of those seem to work for you, feel free to record it and email it to us to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. You know we love hearing from you, Captains. So let us know what you think of the show or submit your responses to our community questions in the comment section for this episode on the Star Trek Online forum post. Don't forget, this week's community question is... How would you like to see the crew system revamped in Star Trek Online? And what type of features would you like to see in a companion app for Star Trek Online? Should the gateway go in that direction? Well, that wraps up episode 151, recorded live on trekradio.net. Remember, every Thursday night, we are live recording on Trek Radio, starting at 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 7.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. As you know, Captains, we love hearing from you, our loyal listeners. If you have a suggestion, idea, or topic for any of our segments, or if you have general feedback about this episode, or if you want to tell Elijah to quit talking over Tony when we talk about ARC, our email address is incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Or if you want to talk to us directly, leave us a voicemail on our SpeakPipe app on our website, or record an MP3 and send it in to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Stay in touch with us throughout the week by following our social media websites. Head over to facebook.com forward slash priority one podcast and give us a like. Or you can check us out on Twitter via at STO priority one. And just this week, we've started a new steam group. So just do a search for priority one and feel free to join the group. Also, don't forget to support a friend of priority one. Check out Splatter Studios Trek inspired canvas art by visiting their Etsy store. Links, of course, will be in the show notes. Special thanks to Simon Ludgate for joining us again and talking with us about ARC and Chivalry Beam for this week's Foundry Review. Thanks to the entire team behind PriorityOnePodcast.com, including our new audio engineer, Skiffy. Thanks to the composer of our awesome theme music, Mr. Chris Watts. Also, thanks to our syndication partners, Black Star Radio and Trek Radio. Thanks to our sponsors, Sayulita.com. And most importantly, a big thanks to you guys, all the listeners. Thanks for coming and joining us every week and having fun with us and laughing with us and supporting us. Without you guys, none of this is possible. So keep on listening, and I promise we'll keep doing our best to entertain you. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Shields up. Ready weapons. Engage. Well, let's check out this week's Foundry Spotlight with Chivalbean. 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 This week, we put on our thinking caps. Uh, oh, shillelagh. Man, you started off You started off messing up the intro. Now I've now passed over to me. I quit. All right. Son of a monkey's uncle. In any possibly better hands. How's, what was the phrase? How's that phrase? Am I saying that right? Yes, I am. Please, if you please. Ding, 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 ding. Thank you. Had you let had you let Tony read that, he would have said, uh, "Parmesan cheese says." Uh, <laughs> I could do that if you want. <laughs> I could do it if you want. Oh, that's good. That was good. <laughs> Don't forget, this week's community question is: How would you like to see the crew system revamped in Star Trek Online? And what was the other one? All right, so uh, Elliot, you're up. <clears throat> <laughs> 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 <laughs>
they gave a few examples in there. Uh, one of my favorite recent examples is is Battlefield Four, uh, where you can actually whoa, who who rang like that? Uh, it's your mom. Via at sto priority one, and just this, and just this week, we've started a new Steam group. So just do a search for priority one, and you'll feel and feel free to join the group. Great. <laughs> really struggled great. on that one. I did. <laughs> that, was, that was good radio. And, 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 and really, like, and, and we started steam and and oh, I crap myself. And then, uh, uh, are you redoing that one, or should I roll on? No, I thought that I thought it ended up turning oh, out okay. No, serious. Right. Oh, <laughs> let them laugh harder. Oh, you were serious. Let them laugh harder. No, I, I thought it was a good run. Uh, and, 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 uh, and, and still priority one? I mean, add still no. priority one. Let's try to keep it. Let's try to keep uh, it. Keep all right. Calm. Okay. Hey, Elijah, could you, could okay. you redo that one for us? Could you redo that for us? <laughs> it sounded a little awkward. Just from my end. Maybe it's just me. Because I'm not laughing as hard as everyone else. It might be just me. <laughs> I'm thinking it's fine as long as you <laughs> or something, you know. <laughs> okay. oh, Tony, Tony, that was good. All right, that was good. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> it's begun. Oh. All right, come on, we can get through this. We can, we can do this. this. Okay. We can do this. Stay in touch with us. With. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. This is really horrible. All right. Okay. <laughs> Let us uh, kill us. All right. This is going to be a great blooper. <clears throat> okay. Okay. Stay in touch with us. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, Lispy? Stay in touch with us. This week, this fine social media website. Head on over to Come, you can give us a like. Elliot, mute your mic. James, <laughs> mute your mic. I'm going to mute my mic. Elliot, uh, Elijah, go. <clears throat> okay. I'm crying, dude. I'm like actually weeping. <clears throat> okay. Stay in touch with us throughout the week by following our social media websites. Head over to Facebook.com. <laughs> Head over to... All right, you know what? The first take was really good. Just cut the whole thing about Steam. <laughs> move on, move on, move on. Okay. All right, here we go. <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat>